1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we're going to be talking about something you need to know, unfortunately. (laughs) you need to be forewarned and forearmed um, because these days, you know the song, birds doing it, bees doing it, let's do it, let's fall in love. Well, let's do it, let's fall in love, but what's happening more and more is let's do it, let's cheat. Today we're going to be helping you to figure out if your mate is cheating how to Spot a Cheating Mate and What You Can Do About It. My guest is Danine Manette. She's the author of Ultimate Betrayal, Recognizing, Uncovering, and Dealing with Infidelity. She's uh, not only an author of this book, but she's an investigator and an infidelity Expert and what makes her an expert to start off with, besides her bachelor's degree in social welfare from the University of California at Berkeley and her doctorate from Hastings College of Law in San Francisco, is her own personal experience with infidelity, which has given her uh, that wasn't something she went to school for, it just uh, she didn't enroll, it just sort of came upon her. Welcome to the show, Deneen.
3: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, why don't we start, you know, first of all, it does seem like you just have to pick up a newspaper, turn on the radio, turn on television, and you hear about some other situation, some other relationship that is being destroyed by cheating. I mean, first of all, it seems like an epidemic amongst politicians. Yes. Uh We have, you know, there were cases like Elliot Spitzer and Mark Sanford, and we'll talk some about those, and then of course celebrities. Are, that's that's they've been cheating for a long time. Right. Uh, of course, now in the spotlight we have John and Kate, right. and um, and let's not forget the athletes. And yes, of course <laughs> that's right. The athletes, and who what was what was the name of the athlete just recently who was McNair, killed by his Steve mistress? McNair.
3: Who yes. was it? Steve McNair, the yes. quarterback.
2: Yes, former yes.
3: quarterback. Correct.
2: Um, now that's that's one way of of getting. Uh, punishment for the cheating spouse. Right. Um, so why don't we before we so what what's scary about all of this or unfortunate about all of this is that the more people who are in the news, um, celebrities or people who become celebrities because of of cheating like the other there was an instance recently did you hear about the uh three women in, well, there were four, but three who were involved in this love triangle or I guess, that was yes, be a-
3: and they <laughs> lured the guy over there and, and did a whole bunch of things, yeah. Things well, kind of yes, of including, including super-gluing <laughs> super his penis Correct. to
2: his abdomen. Oh, that was crazy. <laughs> which... I don't know if you happen to see it, um, Two and a Half Men. Did you happen to see the episode where Charlie Sheen talks about some old girlfriend
3: who did that? I sure didn't know.
2: <laughs> well, because I wondered if these women...
3: Had... may have seen that and gotten the idea. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of scary. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but... But the thing is that with all of these people, you know, all of this being in the news all the time, it's normalizing it. It's making it seem like because all these people, especially when it's a an athlete, you know, um, well, supposedly a role model or right. a, a celebrity or, or even a politician, I mean, they're all supposed to be role models in their own way, Right. and when we hear about... All of their relationships going awry because of cheating. It makes it see. It gives the green light,
3: right? To people who cheat. Everyone's doing it, so yes. what's the big deal?
2: Yes, it's kind of like pot, you know? right? Exactly. <laughs> In high school or college or right. something, it it's, it's no stigma. big deal. Right. Um, of course, the that brings up a whole issue of maybe it's not a big deal even now, but we won't get into that. <laughs> right. But I mean, it it just um it just does normalize the whole thing. Of course. I think Clinton it was a big factor in, in causing the green light to go on in a big way, and then this seems to have followed. So why don't we start, before we discuss the whole concept, let's start
3: with your own personal experience. What, what happened to you? Well, um, back early on, even in college, I had a boyfriend that cheated on me, and then I got married, and my current husband ended up cheating on me as well, um, right into our marriage, not long after our honeymoon. And during the course of that experience, I, you know, I was devastated. That was just absolutely horrible. I'm like, here we are again. This is happening to me again. I was working as an investigator at the time. And because I've always been the type of person who's put puzzles together, I've watched, you know, read Nancy Drew and, mm-hmm. you know, I've always been really interested in, in fact finding and putting pieces together. I decided that this would be a really good thing for me to do is to Put out there you know kind of started as a journal but ended up being kind of a guide to help people put pieces together to figure out what's going on in their relationship so that's that was the personal take which kind of pulled from my childhood and, and my own personality of, of a puzzle doer
2: okay. well now and I loved Nancy Drew too I guess I maybe it. that contributed to my becoming a psychiatrist okay <laughs> um because it is kind of like a fact-finding mission as a psychiatrist as well um what about your fa- I-, I wrote a book, as my listeners know, and many of them know, um, called Bad Boys, Why We Love Them, How to Live with Them, and When to Leave Them. And uh, of course, I-, I defined 12 different types of bad boys, and the cheater was one of them. And um, I relate the women's, all of the different women who are attracted to each of the types of bad boys because there was a different type of woman that was attracted to each type, I related back to her father. And in other words, some something about the relationship with her father that caused her to pick a man either like her father, the opposite of her father, or in some relationship to something having to do with that earliest relationship. Uh-huh. Um, what... What was there, did did your father cheat or what was there about your relationship with your father that might have contributed to
3: your having picked two men who ultimately cheated on you? I actually, I come from a family of long marriages, strong marriages, grandparents, uncles, aunts. My parents married almost 50 years. So it wasn't anything that came from my father, but it did have a lot to do with my own self-esteem and the environment in which I grew up in. I think that... I spent a lot of time feeling as though maybe I didn't have as much self-worth as I needed to have. And therefore, I, you know, went after those things which made up for that, what I was lacking, which was the fast, the super out there, the, you know, highly visible, the attention-getting, the charismatic, um, as a way to kind of make up for those things I was lacking Mm. myself. And those people who tend to want a lot of attention aren't really satisfied with the attention of just one person. Yes, So yes. I think I just was chasing the fast things to make myself feel as though I had more value. I think that that's what kind of comes down to Yes. Me. I didn't have those examples in my home. Well, did you have sisters? I did. I have two sisters.
2: So, you know, sometimes um, what I found was sometimes it has to do with women who felt that they had to compete with, um, with sisters, to sort of be the preferred one or they didn't feel that they were the preferred one or they wanted daddy's uh, attention more, you know, having to compete, like they're used to having to share daddy's love with
3: a lot of other women. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm i not, you know, I'm not really sure if it was what the, the order was in the home or the competing in the home or the fact that I was kind of an outsider socially and, you know, felt as though I became the funny person early on, you know, the funny kid because that was my way of getting the attention that I figured that I needed. So I think all of these things combined contributed to me making bad relationship choices early on. So what happened
2: with the college, um, the first relationship? How did you discover
3: that that man was cheating on you? Well, um... Because I came home early, um, we I'd gone out with some girlfriends to uh, get together, and I came home, he told me he didn't want to go, and I came home and found him, um, hugged up with her in the bathroom at his apartment with the door wide open, and uh. the bathroom door wide open, so that was kind of, woo in my face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that was something. And what happened when you confronted him? Um, I actually, it was really a bad scene, and you know, him and I had history, we had a very volatile relationship, it was really, you know, it was very juvenile, it was very immature, it was a lot of high drama, and you know, it, it was just it was a, just a pretty bad scene, and we ended up having a screaming fight, and I left, and it just became, it was just a disaster, I mean, it, it took us years to even become friends, which we are now, because mm. it's been many years, you know, later, but it was just it was just so much drama. And now, as, at, at the age that I am now, I'm 42, and I look back on that, and I'm thinking, you know, if I knew then what I know now, then I would have known that it was okay to recognize that this guy was not for me and just walk away from Uh-huh. Me. But, of course, you know, I'm young and I'm competitive and <laughs> I'm wanting to keep up and, you know, I'm not going to let her take my boyfriend and all
2: of that. Yes, <laughs> yes. Of course, that happens a lot. Um. So did you um do you think I mean now that you've you know obviously studied this whole area and had another experience and so on do you think that I mean a lot of times when men do something like that um where they make their affair so easy for their girlfriend or wife to find out about um it's because consciously or unconsciously they they actually want the, their partner
3: to find out mm-hmm. yes yes and I think that because we had had such, so much history of back and forth and whatnot, I think that he may have been in a place where he was ready to move on from this relationship and this was a good way because it was just way too obvious. It was a party full of people. Any of those people could have come back and given me that information. It was just kind of an in-your-face type of mm. question. So I, I think that in, when it's blatant in those terms and in my particular experience, blatant, blatant actions like that, are pretty much saying, look, this is what it is. And I just didn't have the words to tell you.
2: Yes. And, uh, and we'll talk about some of the ones that aren't quite as easy to discover right. when we come back. <laughs> My guest today is Deneen Manette. Her book is called The Ultimate Betrayal, Recognizing, Uncovering, and Dealing with Infidelity. And we'll talk more about that when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
5: Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel.
4: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain
1: inspired. Really
4: fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station
6: where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, helping you today to figure out how to spot a cheating mate and what you can do about it. My guest is Deneen Manette. She is the author of the book, The Ultimate Betrayal, Recognizing, Uncovering, and Dealing with Infidelity. She's an investigator and an infidelity expert, and part of what makes her an expert are her own experiences, which we have begun talking about let's talk about your marriage you you mentioned that um that it that you discovered that your husband was cheating soon after your honeymoon which apparently is a growing trend of spouses um cheating early on in the marriage which is kind of a new trend
3: yes yes and it was just devastating the thing is is that the woman that he had an affair with was someone that he had dated prior to us getting married mm. So it was just kind of a, a relationship that was never completely resolved, but, you know, it appeared to be resolved on the surface. I, I, In retrospect, I had nagging feelings that that situation had not resolved itself, but I, you know, just kind of plowed forward and figured that love would conquer all and that whole tape you play in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's not, it's something that, that does happen. If, if If you can get through those first two years, it decreases a little bit, but that that beginning of the relationship is something that a lot of times now I've noticed far more relationships are, are dealing with infidelity within the first year two years
2: yes, and I think probably what you just mentioned um in your example is, is accounts for a lot of cases where people um <laughs> have some misgivings like maybe maybe the grass was greener or and also people who um are feeling uncomfortable feeling like uh, their life has ended because they've made a commitment to one person and they don't want to stop playing.
3: Yes, yes. And there's also, you know, unexpected differences that come into play. You know, things are different when you think sometimes that when you get married, things are going to just all of a sudden get perfect. And the issues that were happening when you were dating, you, for some people believe that a wedding ring is just some magical thing that's going to change character and change behaviors all of a sudden, just the ring itself. And because of that, I mean, here we are early on into the marriage, now surprised that we're dealing with some of the same issues we had just two weeks before the wedding. Mm -hmm. But here we are again, nothing magical, no spell came over either spouse to all of a sudden make them conform to the standards of marriage if they weren't already interested in doing that which is why the
2: fairy tales end with and they walk happily into the sunset or whatever, they don't tell you about what happens later. Well, now, you you said earlier that you were an investigator at the time that you were married and that you discovered this, so... um, how did you discover it? I mean, one would think that you would have sort of an edge on um, women who aren't investigators and aren't used to looking for things like that. How did you discover
3: this? Well, the funny thing is, is that we all have this compass within us, and you know yourself better than anybody, and you kind of can have a feeling and intuition when something is just not right. And in retrospect, 90% of the women I've spoken to have all said, and men, that they just had that funny feeling. They just had a feeling something was going on. So it really starts with just that gut feeling, those those subtle and sometimes not so subtle behavioral changes. And then when you start gathering other pieces of information, that the times aren't adding up, or money is missing, that that you not there's no telling where it went, or work shifts become longer, more overtime, but you're still not getting any more money in the house, or Events are just taking longer. The spouse is wanting to do more things by themselves with the things that you all used to do together. And all of these things added up together, but with the basis of that gut feeling is is how one knows and how how I discovered. I mean, I just started looking at patterns. There were certain activities that seemed to happen every Tuesday. He went and played ball with his friends every Tuesday, but then that ball playing stretched one, two, and three hours later. You know, strange phone calls or vague text messages now because we didn't have text messaging back when i was going through that but that's something with the internet mm-hmm. and all it's a lot easier now to come up with information mm-hmm. and and to, and to track strange phone numbers and to you know be able to to assign certain places and events with a person whose name keeps coming up into the conversation you know i'm just like why you, Why do I, I keep hearing the name or you keep talking about the new gal at the office and you know, this goes for physical affairs and emotional affairs, which are harder to detect but also harder to deal with.
2: Mm-hmm. So how did you, what was your final, how did you go down that path, and how did you confront him?
3: Well, I, I gathered a lot of information. I gathered, you know, stories from, I, I had, I befriended his best friend's girlfriend, and I knew that his best friend had cheated on his girlfriend in the past, so I knew that she would be game to give up information
6: mm.
3: him, Um and to give me, have, she was privy to conversations I wasn't privy to because she's on the other end of the conversation. Right. And I was able to get information from her. I was able to just really start watching and timing his activities and his events and you know, doing a lot of things that just really took a lot of effort and a lot of energy and made me physically ill, honestly. All of the digging and the searching and the following up and the double back checking and all of that. But I was able to keep quiet during that whole time because the worst thing you can do is grab one piece of information and run in there and say, hey, look what I found. Why are you cheating on me? Because that's like the biggest mistake you can make.
2: So anyway, I put because it all Because
3: they can easily deny it and exactly. then they're more careful. They easily deny it. They do the Jedi mind trick, which is you're crazy, you're psycho, you're stupid, how could you think this? And they put it back on you. You're just insecure. You're snooping through my things. You know, I'm leaving. And then you're standing there looking silly because they're now, they have more time to get their story straight, and you're wondering, gosh, you know, maybe I am crazy. That's yeah. a Jedi mind trick. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, so I put it all together, and I was, I was fortunate enough to find photographs um, of the two of them together that she had made sure that she'd written the dates and the times and the activities on the back of, because sometimes the other person will leave clues. They'll leave breakfast. Wait, how did you find that? Um, I went on a trunk search, a vehicle trunk search. Um, and it wasn't the first trunk search, but for some reason that day I had a strong feeling that I needed to check that trunk again. The trunk of your husband? Yes.
2: And 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 the, the way that, did you know when you, I mean, how did you find out who the other woman was from well, that
3: trunk search or did you know before? I had heard this person, I had come into the house and I had heard him on the telephone with someone and he hung up quickly and then I star 69 and her uh. name was on the voicemail so that gave me a ah, name but yeah. I had no idea and then what he said was oh you know she's you know, I, I wasn't really sure what was going on and so then that gave me the idea of the name and then that once I had the name I knew what I needed to be looking for and sure enough here we go I, I, I knew I, for some something overpowered me and told me to look in that trunk that day, I cannot tell you what it was. Uh-huh. I just It told me, and I, I, was, I was going so crazy because you're going crazy when you're in this phase of just digging and looking, and I know, I know he's cheating, I know he's cheating, and you're going crazy. And I was just, I was in a state that I would never wish on anyone. Um, and I'm walking down the street, and I'm walking past his car, and it, it's as though a loud voice was saying, look in that trunk. And I did, and sure enough, there was a plastic bag full of photographs and cards and things because he was transitioning from one office to another at work. Oh, those uh-huh. things happened to be in his trunk that day. Wow. And so, what did you do? I brought them all inside and I set them on the kitchen table. <laughs> and he wasn't in. Oh,
2: my, yes.
3: Home. And I waited for him to come home, and then he came out. I was sitting on the back porch, and he came out and said, What's the matter? And, he, you know, we have been having problems for that whole month because I just was on to him. But uh-huh. I put a person, I couldn't, I didn't have any proof. And at this stage in my life, I felt that I needed proof. I now know differently. But at this stage in my life, I felt I needed proof to prove to him what he already knew. Right. So I waited until he came home and he came in. And he's like, what's wrong with you? What's the matter? And I said, you know, I know all about her. Um, and I, I, this marriage is over. And he's denying, denying, and I pull out the pictures and I'm like, gosh, this is really ugly. And it went from there. So about two weeks later, um we split up, we went our separate ways and that was when the real work began. And here we are now. <laughs> <laughs> A lot's happened between there and them and that and now, but you know, that was the beginning of the beginning of the change in both of our lives was when we separated and went our own way. And I, I could not possibly have continued to stay in that home and watched his comings and goings and knowing that he was lying to me. That's the worst thing in the world. It's just a sickening feeling every day, yes. not knowing, you know, okay, I wonder where he's going now yes. and he's going to be with her. It's just, it's
2: sickening. Yes.
3: It, you cannot, I could not live that way.
2: Well, when when you showed him the pictures, did he, did he, I mean, did he try to deny it? Did he try to come up with some excuse for why the, Unless the pictures showed them in very compromising positions,
3: did he try to give some uh, reason for why they were together? Um, that was a long time ago. He's broken that off. You know, oh, and it, uh-huh. it, 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 it was irrelevant. It, it, even if he had, it would have been irrelevant because the fact of the matter is, is that this has been a part of of your life and our lives now. And I didn't know anything about it. And the, this is just a complete and total betrayal. And I'm just done. I'm just done. And at that time we had a three year old child and I'm just, just, I was done. I could not continue with this relationship. So he tried to, he tried to get you to stay for a little while and, but I, I wasn't entertaining. I wasn't angry. I wasn't yelling. I wasn't asking questions because I had all the information that I needed. And when you don't ask questions, you don't give the person the opportunity to lie to you. Mm
2: -hmm. You close that
3: window for them. So I just started making plans. Got a place to to move with me and my son, and just was very matter of fact because I had I had a bit of closure, I thought, and I had peace, I thought, so I was able to just function normally, and that kept him, I mean, from being able to continue to inundate my head with foolishness. Wow. Ah,
2: well, uh, well. <laughs> we we will uh, come back. Um... You know, it's interesting because uh, when we come back, we'll hear the rest of that story, which is, which is sort of an unusual ending, and I think it will offer some hope to people. But um, I do want you to talk about some of the, you know, the... the uh, I know in your book you talk about the stages of what happens after you find out. So we'll talk about that, too. Um, when we come back, we'll talk more with my guest. Her name is Denine Manette, the book, is ultimate betrayal, recognizing, uncovering, and dealing with infidelity. And I'm sure this is hitting home with a lot of you out there, either being the cheater or the cheaty. <laughs> and uh, it's really important to, to recognize these things. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: the experts call toll-free right now one 472 5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. that's 1-866-472-5787 thank
5: you for calling
4: voiceamerica.com
0: what can you tell me about
1: skills usa
6: If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol
5: Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about uh, cheating how to spot a cheating mate? What what you can do about it? Now we're going to be talking about what happens next after you discover that your mate has been cheating. My guest is Danine Manette. She's the author of Ultimate Betrayal: Recognizing, Uncovering, and Dealing with Infidelity. We've been uh, she has been graciously sharing her story so that it can serve as an example of both how to catch your mate cheating and also um, now what you can what you do afterwards. So why don't you take us through that, the stages of what happens after you discover it?
3: Well, I call it the aftermath of discovery, and there's about, I'd say, seven, seven, eight stages that you go through. Um, The first one is the initial shock, and that's when you're just in disbelief, you just cannot you know, comprehend that this was this is happening to you, that your spouse was emotionally or physically involved with someone else. You start trying to put everything together in your head and you just realize that so much of what you knew to be your reality is actually a lie. So you don't know what's real and what's not and you're basically in a fog while you're trying to figure out what's what and who's who and what was real and what wasn't real. And then once you, you get over the initial shock, then you get really mad and that's the rage um, stage and that's when you're realizing that this is not just a joke, you're not imagining this, this is really happening and this is what has been going on in your life and you get so mad and this this stage a lot of times comes across physically because you become physically ill. Um, your stomach is in knots, you don't want to go to work, you don't want to get out of the bed, you're eating or you're not eating, you're sick to your stomach, throwing up, screaming, fighting Hating out of control, just losing your temper constantly, and and a lot of people have described this as a phase when you become someone that you don't even know. You are just you don't even recognize this person anymore because this person is so angry and is so hostile. And anytime your your spouse says something to you, you're just screaming and you're bringing up stuff until you just your heart is racing and you just become this enraged, crazy, angry person. Which, of course, is not too much to make your spouse or mate want to be with you. You know, it's just and that's the thing, because it takes more. I'm, usually the spouse is very remorseful at this time, and they're just kind of curled up in a ball dealing with all of this rage, because it is coming at every moment. I mean, your spouse says, I'm sorry. Yeah, you are sorry. You're a sorry MF. I mean, you know, just, that's when you're just really, really angry. And you're just mad, you're mad constantly, you're slamming doors or you're just, and then you go through a, you know, a day, maybe you're feeling okay and then you're mad again. Mm-hmm. So this is a really unpredictable stage and a really, you know, it, it's when you, you're prone to do things that may be dangerous, unhealthy or illegal. So this stage passes and you need to just kind of know that it's going to be over. Um, after that, you kind of go through a desire for revenge where you want to get this person back. That's when you start maybe thinking about a revenge affair or you think about what you can do to hurt your husband or hurt your wife or hurt the other person that the affair partner or, you know, you want to ruin them professionally, personally. You're just trying to think of ways that you can get them back. And and most of this is directed towards the other party. You're going to, if they're married, you're going to want to call their husband or wife and you're trying to think of all of these things to do um, that to, to get them back and, and, this, is, this, this phase will also pass. And it's really important to remember that pure emotional decisions rooted in pain often lead to actions that we later regret. So, you know, knowing that this phase is yet just another tick on the clock, you, you just got to get through it knowing that another phase will come um, and not make any decisions to do anything that's going to get you arrested or fired or whatever. Um, and then you get to a point where you're, where you're starting to let go of the angry, violent rageful stage and you just start having this dull ache and this is when you're pretty much emotionally wiped out this is the time that you start feeling like i need some closure either i need to leave this person and be done with this marriage or we need to start figuring out if it can be repaired but it's just this is the constant dull ache that's in your stomach every single day but it's not this active rage you're deeply hurt but you're thinking more logically And you're more, you're less consumed with revenge and you're more interested in taking an assessment of your life and your goals and where you want your marriage to go from here. Um, Focus less on the other man and woman, more on your own marriage, whether it's going to stay or it's not going to stay. And, you know, you're just wiped out at this stage. Too tired to fight, too tired to cry. You're just numb. Um, After that, we kind of move to the picking up the pieces phase. And that's when, if if you're ready to get your marriage back together, you start realizing that you need more information and you start looking at the roadblocks that are in the way of making that happen that's when you maybe start entertaining counseling you start trying to to figure out you know put activities and interests that are more in tune with where you want to see yourself going if it's to be with this marriage to continue with this marriage it's you know you're looking at therapy you're looking at working together you're looking at opening these lines of communication and if it's to not be together you're looking at, you know, the next phase, where you're going to go, if you're going to move, how you're going to heal yourself, what activities you can get involved in yourself. Um, so that's the picking up the pieces. And, you know, then we kind of get to the learning to trust again phase. And this is whether or not you're going to stay in your current relationship or you're not. Um, and I and I don't advise people to get into new relationships because that brings in a whole other messy book of worms. But this is when you start kind of, trying to soften up a little, and it's when the cheater needs to really lay all their cards out on the table and make their life an open book because when you're learning to trust, you need answers to your questions. You need them to be accountable. You need them to put it all out there. You need them to not tell you, you aren't over this yet. You know, it's been long enough. I'm tired of hearing about it. That's not going to work out. You'll never regain trust as long as they continue to put those roadblocks up. So they need to be an open book. They need to be contrite and lay it all out there. Otherwise, the rebuilding, beginning to learn to trust phase is not going to get off the ground. Um, after that, we go to dealing with triggers, and that's, you know, that, that happens kind of intermittently throughout the healing process. But it's when you hear that song on the radio and you know that it was a song that was during that time that he was having an affair or she was having an affair – Or you go to, you know, a certain place that they were intimate and every time you pass that Motel 6 or something, you start having triggers or you see someone that resembles the affair partner or, you know, just different things that just bring up the pain of the affair that you run into throughout the day. Really difficult phase. Really hard to deal with triggers because you can obsess over them and they can really throw you off track because you may come back home and you're in the rage state again. So you've got to, you're in a state and if you're, in therapy, it's a good time to learn how to manage these triggers. And then we kind of move into setting realistic goals and finding a healthy new self, whether it's with or without your husband or wife, um, whether or not we're going to be able to rebuild this marriage. You're pretty much going to know that, you know, six months, a year, a year and a half into this process. It's, it's a long process. But realistic goals, are we, going to, are we going to stay together? Is this going to work out? Can I ever trust you again? Will I be able to have a conversation with you without constantly berating you and attacking you? You know, is the affair the person that had the affair behaving contrite? Are they remorseful? Are they rebuilding trust? Are they doing their part? You know, and are you as the victim allowing them the opportunity to rebuild? Because if you're just going to stay with someone in order to beat them up every day, that's not healthy for anybody. So that's pretty much an overview. Sorry, if it's a long one. No, no, that was
2: that was great.
3: So, yeah, how did you the um whole thing? So so you separated. You decided yeah. that I guess the what that you couldn't... I couldn't deal with his daily comings and goings. I could not deal with the pain of wondering where he was every day. I felt so completely and totally and utterly disrespected and violated that I could not look in his face. And and you didn't want to go to therapy. No, I wasn't interested in that. I figured the problem was all his because I thought I was the perfect wife and the problem was all his and therefore once again, that child that had been rejected so many times came back up, and I'm being rejected again, and I can't deal with it, so I'm running away. Mm. So I was done. I just said, that's it, done deal. Um, and then it, what happened? The well, we stayed apart for a couple of years, and during that time we both got into individual counseling. Um, I didn't even know he was in therapy. And we got into individual counseling, and you know, I, I, he, he learned a lot about things that had to do with, with abandonment issues from his childhood and why it was that he had difficulty trusting one person and always needed mm. a backup plan, mm. um, and so goes with relationships. And I realized that because of my own insecurities, I withheld a lot of things that were important to have in a marriage. I've always been the kind of person that said, okay, he looks nice, but I'm not going to tell him he looks nice because if I do, then he'll find somebody else mm. because he'll think he's so special and then I'll lose. So I'm just going to keep that to myself. And I had to learn that that was baggage I was carrying and that I was not giving and, and I learned about the ego and the need for this ego. If you're not, if you're not there to tell the person you love how you feel about them, someone else is. Mm. And I really had to explore a lot of my baggage because I thought I was the perfect wife and that I was doing everything that needed to be done. Now there's no excuse for an infidelity and I'm not making one, but I am saying that In order to heal, whether you're with this person or not, you need to be introspective and figure out if there was anything you could have done differently. And I found some things in myself that I thought needed some repair.
2: And you were having, uh, you were still in contact because you had the son, and I assume he was
3: seeing, you were sharing the custody of. Yes, yeah, so the way the... that I had it arranged was that I dropped the son off at daycare, and he picked him up and kept him for two days and then dropped him off. So I had it arranged so that we never had to see each other. Mm. I uh. had it arranged that any information that we needed was left in each other's cars.
2: <laughs> and so, and did you actually get divorced during this time? Or I were you... filed.
3: You filed? I filed, but it never, it never, it never finished.
2: Okay, when we come back, we'll find out how you... Um, yeah. what, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> yes, what happened? I'm keeping what my happened? listeners in suspense here. All right, we're talking with Danine Manette. We're talking about how to spot a cheating mate, what you can do about it. We just told you about the different phases. After you discover it, after those pictures are on the kitchen table, what do you do next? <laughs> So stay tuned, and we'll talk more about it when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
4: Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk.
7: Easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests. Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school and youth teams, coaches and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time right here on America's Voice Voice America.
4: Son, we got to talk about drinking. I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah,
0: I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal.
4: Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me.
7: This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council.
4: The Internet's number one talk station.
6: Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carroll, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm sure just like... I would like to, you would like to hear the end of this story, because especially because it's a happy ending. So my guest, Danine Manette, um, will tell us, what, who, who ventured forth first to suggest that you try to get back together? How
3: did that occur? Well... My husband, about maybe six months into the separation, started trying to really do things in fact, he sold you know we got he got rid of the house that we had and he bought a, a larger house big enough. He said it was enough rooms for the whole family in case we were ready to move in and you know he really just kept at it he you know called we went on dates and he just would not stop he he, he terminated his relationship with this other person and just Really, you know, I found out he was in counseling. He was inviting me to come to see the therapist with him, so we started going together as a couple. And, you know, during that time, I was still working on my issues. And like I said, there's never an excuse for infidelity. But if you can come up with something tangible that you can work on within yourself, it helps you with your sanity. It doesn't make you feel as though you're just a victim sitting over here and all this is happening to me, to me, to me. You're able to take charge of some of this. Now, we had a 3-year-old. And and by now the child is almost five. Um, But my whole thing was that I, I knew there were issues that were not, you know, completely great about my husband before we married him. I knew that he was out there and he had a lot of women, and that drew me to him because, like I said, I had that insecurity thing. And I felt as though, in some respects, I knew the job was dangerous when I took it. And now I've brought this innocent child into this relationship, and I felt as though I owed it to my son to give it one more chance. And that if it didn't work out, I could say, honey, mommy tried. I did everything I could. But now that I was armed with my new tools and my new self-perspective and the, the realities that there, there was a lot of giving that I needed to be doing that I wasn't, and I was hoping that he was armed with his new focus and his new agenda, that we were going to try this again. And so two years after we broke up, we got back together. And, you know, it was kind of rough at first, but what we did was not repair the old marriage because it was dead and broken and it was two people that were different people than we were here in this home now. We had to start over from scratch and build a new one with a new anniversary date, a new everything because since we were not the same people anymore, nor were we pretending or behaving as the same people, we needed to start over and have a new, brand-new marriage with new guidelines, new, new communication skills, new um, intimacy, just a renewed sense of starting over from scratch because a lot of people think they can rebuild and it's better to just scrap it and start from the beginning. And that's what we did. And now we are what eight years post-affair. We have a new child who's four now. And our marriage and our relationship is stronger than ever. We went on Oprah together. And, you know, our, our marriage is really, really solid. And I really feel like we've turned the page I don't, and he. We can talk about this. I mean, keep in mind, I wrote a book about this, so it's not as though it's not anything that comes up. But his whole thing is that person was a bad, bad guy, and he made bad choices, and he was dumb. This guy loves and respects his wife and family, and he recognizes what it is to have lost something. So I, you know, advocate really that separation, whether it's physically or emotionally to be able to let that person recognize what it is that they're giving up. And if they're interested in working to repair it, then they need to take the steps as well as the betrayed spouse needs to be introspective and make the steps necessary to fix the problems as they see them.
2: Well, you know, I must say, first of all, I'm very happy for you, and it really does take two special people to be able to do that because in my experience of... um, you know treating lots of patients and and seeing people in in my various capacities uh like as an expert witness in divorce and so on um certainly the majority in the majority of cases an affair oftentimes really does mean the death knell for a marriage or a relationship yes. and um i think one of the things that is so important is to not be you know you're having left so soon i mean I, I i'm sure there was time there was all that time when you felt it in your gut and then you were doing the investigating and, and so on it wasn't like overnight but um all too often uh, the wives i mean usually it's the wives of course it's, women cheat on men too the the spouse who is cheated upon will sometimes beg and cry and, and or get angry and have these tantrums and do various things that actually serve to push the the mate who has been cheating further away.
3: Exactly. And exactly.
2: Um, because it's not very attractive. No. And when you can show that you have that you respect yourself enough to have a life to, you know, be sad that the relationship is over, but um, to not, to not act like the person who is not as good as the person that they are cheating with um, then often then one does have a shot at uh you know letting time Cause the per I mean, oftentimes these relationships, the, the cheating relationships, just fall apart on their own. Yes. It's exciting, and part of the, the allure is the. when
3: They're built on deception. Yes. Part, well, part
2: it. of the allure is that it's forbidden and we have to sneak around. And, you know, oftentimes when that is taken away, and, or it's the spouse is angry at the, at the other spouse. You know, the cheating mate is angry at the other person in the relationship, and they're doing this to hurt. Um, their partner, whether the partner finds out about it or not. Uh, You know, it's it's they're getting something out of it by, ha-ha, I'll show her, I'll show him. And so when that factor isn't part of it, oftentimes these cheating relationships just fall apart on their own. And if you have managed to keep your self-respect and the respect of your partner, then they will oftentimes see that what they have lost was much better and more valuable than the than the affair right. that they had. And so there is a chance. Um, you know, we're, we're sort of running out of time. I do want to make sure that people have your website because there's a lot more information on Denine's website that you can uh, find out about. It's ultimatebetrayal.com, ultimatebetrayal.com. And um, please go to that, check it out. Her book, again, is called The Ultimate Betrayal, Recognizing, Uncovering, and Dealing with Infidelity. And we certainly see every day in the news examples that show us how what not to do, like, for example, Mark Sanford, the governor of South Carolina, who told the world that um, his... A uh, South American sweetheart was his soulmate, uh-huh. but he would try to fall back in love with his wife. This uh-huh. guy needs a guide. <laughs> what not to say when yeah. you're trying to uh, get That's your wife to stay with you? Although, here. of course, of course, it doesn't really look like he was, and uh, he's now his wife has discovered that he's still in intimate contact, quote unquote, with this woman. So,
3: yeah.
2: um, so she may be thinking of moving into the South Carolina uh, governor's mansion which would probably be the death knell for his career, but oh. it's his soulmate. Hey, what's a career? <laughs> wow. Anyway, this, however, is a positive example of what one can do when you have been cheated upon. So learn from Deneen's example, and uh, again, find out more on her website, com, and even better, buy the book. Uh, there are lots of reviews on her website that say this is the best book since sliced bread. So... Uh, so go check it out, ultimatebetrayal.com. And thank you, Danine, for being oh, a g- great
3: guest. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.
2: And I, I'm, I'm so glad you were able to share your success stories. This, is, uh, this gives people a lot of hope. Anytime. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.